Hello, and thank you for joining the next episode on the FinTech Magazine podcast. Today, we speak to Tim Hooley, Chief Technologist at Red Hat. We discuss topics such as leadership in financial services, the company's approach to open source software, and the involvement of this in community innovation. Enjoy. Hello, Tim. Thank you for joining us. If you could start off by giving a bit of an introduction to who you are, what you do, and how it is linked to leadership. Sure. So I'm Tim Hooley. I'm the Chief Technologist for Financial Services in Europe at Red Hat. And I've been at Red Hat for about a year and a half. I've actually spent most of my career in investment banking as a CTO, CIO uh, type person. But I was, I was fortunate enough to start my career in engineering, actually, um, just as UK firms were starting to embrace modern manufacturing processes like just-in-time and Kanban. Naturally, that grounding has really, you know, served me well. And I've used a lot of the principles that I learned, I guess, early on in my career as financial services has adopted really similar principles in, in you know, in Agile and, and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So most of my career, I guess, has been spent in the client-server era of uh, financial services technology. But now I'm pleased to be at Red Hat really helping to push forward the, the cloud computing era. So that's, that's, you know, that's me. Could I, uh, I mean, Tim, I, I often, um, I find it interesting with how backgrounds um, kind of translate into current experience. I mean, you mentioned a little bit about the, the sort of engineering experience there. Um, and I guess it kind of folds into a, a couple of the questions. Perhaps we can cover those all, all off in one, really. Um, particularly, you know, your time in investment banking. I mean, I guess... I'm interested to see how that experience translate to, translates to your work, you know, currently in, in, in the FS. Uh, I mean, particularly with, with regards to working at, at, like you say, sort of investment banks, larger incumbents, what, what's the difference there in terms of the speed and scale of technology compared to a Red Hat, for example? Yeah, so I think, you know, what's interesting about Red Hat is that they've been working in, a, in an open source, pretty agile way for almost their, you know, their entire existence. It's just how they work. Whereas I guess for most of the time, it, you know, in my career in investment banking, we've been working in a fairly waterfall, you know, traditional big project kind of way. And I guess one of the last things I did at my previous employer was to do a bit of a, an agile digital transformation. And that really opened my eyes to what was possible. But the reality is that the bank, you know, the big investment banks have got a huge amount of technology that they've been building up over the past 20, 30 years and moving to cloud is a, is a significant organizational and cultural challenge as well as a technology challenge. And so my, you know, my reason for joining Red Hat really was to, to get a broader perspective, you know, go bigger than just one investment bank, one company's sort of view on that and, and see across the industry what, you know, what was happening. And actually I've spent most of the past 15 months focusing on are retail bank customers who are, uh, you know, perhaps a little bit further ahead with some of their cloud adoption and digital transformation than their investment banking cousins are, because frankly they've been forced to, to move because of regulation like PSD two and mm. open banking. I mean, it may not be an area that, that you can touch on. I appreciate it. maybe gone off on a tangent slightly, but uh, something that's obviously always interesting and, and, a, and a topic is is that sort of that race for for the cloud and digitization between incumbents or, or legacy banks and, 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 and institutions compared to fintechs and smaller kind of challenger banks. I mean, what, what's your take on that, having, I guess, been involved with technology at a more traditional institution, as it were? Yeah, so I think, you know, look, both of those parties, the fintechs and the traditional incumbents, are approaching the same 
point from a different angle, right? So the the, the incumbents have got their you know their cultural heritage to, to deal with, and their regulatory object uh, you know commitments to, to deal with, and and those two things are really big challenges. And so each one of them is approaching the technology in a different way. Some are building things off to the side. Some have set up you know digital garage type operations to to try and have sort of crack teams doing things. Some are trying to you know wholesale transform their old their old estate into modern platforms they're all doing it differently i think they're all going fairly slowly which you'd expect because they've got such big organizations and in many cases they're having to retrain their employees in you know different coding languages different ways of working having to change their organizational structures whereas the fintechs they can be really quick they can just spin something up on the public cloud very quickly but then they quite quickly run into regulatory challenges and challenges of how to grow and so i think that you know it's almost like they're meeting in the middle isn't it in some cases and i know some of the fintechs have been bought by some of the incumbents and some of them are partnering to a greater extent so you know i think we're going to see more partnering and uh, you know we'll see how how covid sort of impacts that right people you know I think people working from home will will have an impact on the speed of innovation it might go down actually as people uh, spend less time together Absolutely. I mean, I was just uh, about to say with what you just touched on there, Tim, uh, regarding partnership. Um, is there anything which you'd say, which I suppose is most important or most significant, you know, as a shift with when it comes with the sort of driven change of technology? Well, well I think, you know, uh, the speed of innovation is crucial right now. And I think the way that financial services firms compete has has changed dramatically. So, you know, feature innovation and adding value for customers is really is really how you you attract customers to your products and services and how you retain them. You know, if somebody brings out a better feature and your customers are not very sticky, then then you're going to lose them. And so being able to innovate quickly is crucial. So I think the biggest change for me is, is, is the, the infrastructure has evolved to allow fast innovation. If I think back to my days in investment banking, the infrastructure platforms that we had, you know, were, were, you know, were frankly very slow to deploy and scale and change. And that really dictated how fast we could release new things to customers. The infrastructure today with microservices and containers in the public cloud you know, you can do things very, very quickly. And I think that's what customers demand as we've seen more consumerization in, in financial services. Sure. There's a, <clears throat> I was actually going to ask uh, as a point later, I guess, when we're talking about technology adoption and, and change, but it's a good point to bring it in now. I mean, uh, consumerization and, and personalization of banking and, and financial services. I mean, how, how much for you has, has that sort of been a, a core driver of change and, and do you think that, that that sort of underlying thread will continue to, to drive, uh, you know, evolution of, of financial services sector? Yeah, I think, you know, for me, consumerization is a bigger thing right now than personalization. I realize that personalization is often discussed, and I think it's mm. a really nice to have thing. But I think we've got a long way yet to go in terms of consumerization, um, just making things more usable, more accessible, because frankly, today, some, some things are not easy to use. And I think just sort of making things, things more seamless. You know, there's lots and lots of room to improve there. And actually, one of the things that I'm really excited about that I think might actually trump personalization is uh, AI 
artificial intelligence enabled services. Mm -hmm. So customer, you know, firms using their data to present things to customers. You know, you you bought this, you might like this type type stuff that we see on platforms like Amazon, for example. I think that's going to translate into financial services pretty quickly. That's how we arrive at personalization, I think. It's it's through AI enabled services. Okay. Um and and so AI, I guess we, we, we've touched on and perhaps we can, you know, go into more detail on that later uh, and cloud as well. I mean, I guess if you're looking at the industry from a more broad context, and this is just really sort of setting the scene before we get into the specifics, uh, throughout your experience, what would you say really have been those, those sort of key technologies that have driven change? I mean, obviously, you may have your sort of red hat uh, hat on, as it were, and, and slant towards certain areas. But what, what over your experience, what, what's driven the most change, would you say, in terms of technology? Yeah, so I think, look, I think if you look back to when cloud was, you know, created, if you like, by Amazon Web Services back in, you know, 2008, 2009, mm. you know, what they did was they, they democratized technology to a large extent. So they built data centers that anyone could use. They, you know, they allowed customers to share infrastructure to reduce costs. So I think that was a really big change, but actually financial services didn't, didn't jump on it at the time because of regulatory barriers and things like that. What we're seeing now though, the, the, the sort of latest uh, technology change, I think, or the one that's most significant, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, is, is um, the use of uh, Linux containers and microservices architectures because what, what those two uh, developments are allowing banks to do is to selectively move bits of processing and bits of features to the cloud. And, mm -hmm. and it's not really until containers and microservices became commonplace, which happened around 2016, mm -hmm. that the banks really had a way of moving things to the cloud in a, in a fairly straightforward way. And so you know, I think when we talk about cloud at Red Hat, we talk about hybrid cloud, right? It's some combination yep. of public cloud and private cloud. And I think there's some, for most financial services firms, the optimal result is to have workloads running on, on both. There are some things that you want to run in the public cloud in order to get scale and geographical you know, proximity to where your customers are. But there are some things that you want to run in your own data centers, either for security reasons or performance reasons or whatever. So having a, a hybrid approach where you can use both is key and it's containers really and microservices that's enabled that to happen. So for me, that's the really big development that changed, you know, it's a game changer for financial services. Great, fantastic, thank you. So I suppose um, with that being said, if we could move on to uh, focusing more on to open source software, um, and if you could give more of, I suppose, a bit more of a brief overview um, of it and sort of why it's valuable to industries like financial services, you know, and what gains those sort of what gains are given in those sectors, you know, to achieve. Yeah. So, so my personal story is that I've had some exposure to open source in my investment banking career. We've been, my company has used open source operating systems uh, for, for many years. So I'd, I'd seen it in action. Um, but in my last project, really, at my former company, I'd uh, taken some open source software. It was actually a text editor, and we'd, we'd added some features to it to make it work for, for our business. And that really opened my eyes to the fact that with open source, you can take software that's, that's freely available. You know, you can download the, the code, and, and you can add features to it. And so the beauty of it is, or one of the beauties of it is, is that you can take work that's been done 
by other people, often for a different reason, and you can move it forward in a direction you want. But by doing that, you don't have to start from scratch. You can use something that's already existing and really build on it and, and therefore really get tremendously more efficient in how you're building your software. You know, you might take something that's 90% where you want it and add the remaining 10%, which is much more efficient than building the thing from scratch. But also it's better, I think, in many ways than perhaps buying proprietary software that doesn't quite do what you want and, and you can't change it because it's proprietary. And so you have to change your working practices or you have to change how your employees operate, you know, in order to use it. So for me, open source has, you know, has the efficiency gains that you get from sharing work with other people, but it also lets you tailor your software to what you need. Whereas I think if you use proprietary software, you almost always have to compromise in some way um, mm. to use that proprietary software. It might just be for my benefit, Tim, and an apologies sir, for asking for a bit of a layman's sort of uh, description, but I was wondering if you could very briefly kind of explain how it works. I, I have to confess, you know, re reading, uh, so we, we ran your article on, on FinTech website at the weekend. It was really interesting, but um, it was actually a sort of concept that I wasn't that aware of, I, I have to confess. And so I found it very interesting with this idea of dipping into a, an open community to, to use things that are readily available. So could you kind of perhaps very briefly outline how that works in terms of if I were a financial institution, for example? Sure. sure. So I guess with, with traditional software, traditional proprietary software, mm. you know, a company, a company develops the software, they package it up into something that customers want and they sell a license for that, right? Mm. You, you can use it as long as you pay the license fees. I guess um, open source software is very different. The people who write the code initially, they're, they're, aim is for it to be freely available. So you can download it, you can use it uh, freely, you can modify it. And really there are various open source sort of uh, licenses out there, but they all say that you can use and change the software as you, as you see fit. Um, mm. As long as you don't sort of um, trample over what the people before you have done, you have to be sort of courteous, I guess, and, and have some respect for the community that's built it. And, and so you can either be a user of open source software, which almost every financial services firm is in some way. I mean, the internet largely is built on a lot of open source software. So mm. all of us use open source software in our daily lives. And then there are two other ways you can use it. You can either, as I said, download it and make changes, which is what I did at my former employer. Mm -hmm. Or even better, you can download it, change it, add features, and then put those features back into the community so that other people can use them. And that's really where the, 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 the massive value magnification of, you know, effect occur, you know, occurs. So for example, um, Finos, which is the open source uh, community that, that sort of spans investment yeah. in other financial services, they have a product called Symphony, which is a, a, a communication platform for financial services firms. Mm -hmm. That's entirely open source. And so what some of the members of Finos is, have done is, is that they've added features that they wanted. So they've added telephone integration, they've added video, video capability, and they've put those changes back into the community so that other people can benefit them. And it's sort of this altruistic approach to developing software. And, and the idea is that you, you do that on the bits of functionality that you know, you're not going to compete with. So to let, you know, 
having your software communicate with your telephone system is not mm-hmm. going to be a comp- you know it's not a competitive advantage for anybody. It's just something that everybody needs, right? Mm-hmm. If you share that software with other people, have it sort of as an industry standard through an open source community, you can then focus your developers on the real value added stuff that your right. customers want from you, right? So it's 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 sort of part altruistic efficient but I think by using open source cleverly and in the right places at the right time most firms can massively magnify their their productivity you know the productivity of their developers because as I said they're not starting from scratch every time they're reusing something that somebody's already done yeah I see I understand that that's great I mean it's a really interesting concept um I, I, we were going to ask obviously how that kind of aids or, or helps innovation and, and development uh, for, for banks and institutions, I guess, maybe with that consumerization slant in mind. Um, but is it really there how you covered it? So essentially, if it, if it frees up time to work on those more consumer-focused products. Yeah, that's certainly one way that it helps with innovation because it does free up developers for, for, you know, for the most innovative stuff. But I guess it's worth pointing out that a lot of open source software comes into existence in the first place because somebody sees a need for some software that doesn't exist Mm. and perhaps their company doesn't want to sponsor it or perhaps they want to do it in their spare time. And so a lot of open source software really is created to solve a problem. And and so the the sort of the the context of a lot of open source software is is innovation at the outset. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the people who are involved in open source tend to be the more innovative developers, the ones who are really focused on problem solving, the ones who go the extra mile to solve a problem. And I think it's, it's na- the nature of open source is as a, a source of innovation. So lots of innovative ideas come from open source communities because people can express their ideas in the form of open source software very, very easily. They can literally just write something and make it open source and then other people can add to it. So currently, for example, in, in Red Hat uh, world, mm. we have a, we've just um, released recently a new version of Java called Quarkus. And Quarkus mm. is a version of Java, a Java that's optimized for running on, on, on the cloud or in, in containers. And Quarkus uh, it started out as and is an open source project. Somebody, some creative uh, developers saw a need for a faster, more efficient version of Java to run in the cloud. And they, they engineered it as an open source project and then put it out into the community and other people added to it. And that's now part of uh, Red Hat's uh, product catalog. Great. And, and if, if banks are, are becoming more involved in, in the community aspect of it, then, um, I mean, it, it was something that, that you kind of referred to in, in the article that you wrote for us in, in terms of sort of exerting the influence. Uh, what, what, what position would a bank take in, in such a community? Yeah. So, look, I think if you're a customer of a proprietary software firm, you know, you can lobby that company to make changes. You can put in a ticket saying, please add this feature to the software. And then it's up, you know, it's up to them if and when they add it. In, you know, in open source, if you um, are a developer in that open source community, you can take it upon yourself to add the feature quite often. But I think the way, the way that these communities work, I mean, that, you know, they're called communities for a reason. They actually behave like communities. They usually have you know, a community leader, 
mm. and then pe people who contribute. And so what, what we see is that banks who contribute um, with a sort of a positive attitude, they're not just sort of taking from the community, but they're giving back as well. So an example would be a bank might want to feature added to a bit of open source software, but as well as adding that feature, they might also fix some bugs in some of the core processing that someone else built, you know, previously, right? So they're, they're being sort of public spirited community members and that makes them, you know, more amenable to the rest of the community and, and the community is more positive and healthy as a result of that. So the banks who really embrace the spirit of open source, which as I said, is somewhat altruistic perhaps and, and mm. sort of open, banks who embrace that tend to get the best results. I think if you go into open source with a view of, well, I'm just gonna take what I need and leave the rest to other people to fix, that, mm. that, that's not going to be successful over time. You know, the product isn't gonna evolve in a way that you want it to if you sort of treat the open source community with a, you know, without the respect it, it needs, if you like. Yeah, I understand. I, I, I mean, uh, do, do you think that, that it, we've, we've talked about partnerships a little, and I know you were talking about it with, with Charlotte as well um, earlier. I mean, it, does, it, does it kind of, I guess, banks participating in this community, does that mirror a broader change, do you think, for the industry as a whole in terms of how it views partnerships and working with external sources and, I guess, non-traditional banks and institutions? Yeah, I think so. I mean, look, for me, for me as somebody that was a CIO for, for many years, one of the things that is apparent to me now is that for innovation, I depended on the people around me in my team, the people that I'd hired. And whilst I'd hired some excellent engineers who had brilliant ideas, mm. the fact is that the, you know, you know, there was a limiting factor on, on how much innovation I could do based on who I had around me in my team. The great thing about ecosystems, either proprietary ecosystems or even better open source ecosystems, is that you can just get more people contributing ideas and more people with more perspectives con you know, contributing ideas. And so I think by definition, that leads to a greater amount perhaps and better innovation because you're not limited to your immediate employees. You can pull in ideas from from, from everywhere, from anywhere, from, from students or employees of other companies or even people in other industries who might have similar needs. So it just broadens the sort of source of innovative ideas, which I think has to be good for every firm. And I guess they'll have a different view, perhaps, or a different approach to a solution than someone from a bank. Is, is that fair? That's Yeah, that's absolutely fair. So I think, you know, if a bank, like most banks are focused on perhaps regulatory compliance or, or things like that, whereas other industries are less focused on that and just come across it, you know, come at it from a different angle, right? So mm -hmm. I think that just getting, uh, just increasing the amount of innovative ideas is, a, is, is, is really the desired outcome. I mean, I was, I was just thinking, you know, um, you touched on before um, a couple of examples, you know, um, I think when we were talking about open source, um, you know, with the open source approach to uh, the community, do you have any other examples of sort of where that diversity has led to great results? Yeah, there's a couple of examples. There's, there's a customer that we have in, in Spain, a Spanish bank, and they wanted to do some process automation. They had some processes they wanted to automate them to just add some efficiency. And, and they realized that there was an open source uh, 
bit of software that, that was a process automation software product, but it didn't quite do what they needed. And so they added, they, they basically gave uh, a number of developers to that, to that open source product. But as well as adding the features that they needed for their, for their own bank, they also took it upon themselves to improve the, the core product and, and really drive it. And they've done lots of uh, talk, talks on this in public. And they basically ended up with a, a process automation manager that would have taken, you know, tens and tens of people to build. They, they managed to get the product they wanted for, with just a handful of developers. And, and so they really embraced the spirit of open source. Mm. They, they contributed in a fairly altruistic way. But the end result was they got the product that they needed to, to make the bank more efficient. So that's like a, perhaps the best example. Um, there, are, there are other examples actually where firms haven't had perhaps the developers to contribute because they've been too small, but instead they've contributed perhaps funding to the group. So often open source groups need to meet up to exchange ideas. They, they need somewhere to meet sometimes. They need to cover their expenses. And it's possible, for example, to contribute to open source by providing funding or somewhere for the group to meet. So you don't have to contribute developers, although that is the most common way of contributing. Is that, I mean, it, obviously with, with, with banks, uh, as, as a lot of industries anyway, uh, Tim, you know, security is, is paramount, but is there a, a risk factor involved in opening yourself up to a broader community from a bank yeah. or financial perspective? So, so actually there, you know, there, you know, I think there used to be a concern that using open source software and relying on open source software opened you up to, to security risks. Mm. I think that's been disproved, actually. I think because open source software tends to be built and contributed to by remote distributed teams, there's a requirement for it to be well documented. So if you work on something, in, you know, if you're in the UK working on something in one of your open source collaborators in the US with a time difference, the only way that you can work effectively really is by well documenting what you're doing. So open source software tends to be very well documented. Also, I would say a lot of open source projects have many, many engineers on them. So for example, Kubernetes, which is the open source um, container management platform that, that Red Hat uses, has you know, 400 or so developers uh, working on it. And because it has so many people looking at it, problems in the code tend to be spotted very quickly, right? So if there's a security flaw, or if there's an upgrade needed, or a patch needs to be applied, because there are so many people looking at the software, it tends to get done very quickly. So in our experience at Red Hat, we actually find that open source software is, is usually, and most often, more secure than proprietary software. It gets fixed faster, it's better documented, and that usually leads to actually better security than proprietary software has. And so, you know, and I think there's general acceptance now in banks that that's the case, and that's why we're seeing more use of open source and more contribution to open source. Okay. So I suppose as um, kind of just going off the, the track for a second, um, when you mentioned security, do you feel that um, there's a possibility that banks at the moment, you know, especially with everything that is going on regarding um, lockdown and, you know, the current situation, 
do you feel that there is some sort of um risk i'd say um you know that they have of losing control of uh you know their ideas or their you know to lose their kind of control of different risks it's a good point right because i think if, if you look at how open source software has been developed since its inception it's always been developed by people working in different parts of the world using different technology in different time zones and i as i mentioned a second ago it's well documented and it's written well in order that people can collaborate on it. So I think if anything, the current crisis is going to lead to even more adoption of either open source software itself, or at least open source inspired ways of, of working, which includes, for example, documenting code very well, as I've said, and making sure mm -hmm. that it's high quality. So I think that the open source is a, it's an idea and a concept and a way of working that's really coming into its own in, you know, in the modern world, in the current crisis, it, it really is, it really is a, the great, you know, great way of working. I think a lot of firms have been and are struggling to open up their proprietary, uh, you know, their proprietary software. If you think about how banks work traditionally, mm. they have all their developers in one office, they all sit behind the firewall and the firewall keeps them you know, keeps the data and the software safe, right? And in an open source world, the software doesn't usually sit behind a firewall, it sits outside. And so you have to really work out how to make the software secure itself without relying on a firewall. And so I think COVID is going to force firms to realize that they have to do that with all their software. And it, you know, actually as they move to cloud anyway, cloud, you know, software that's deployed in the cloud and workloads that are run in the cloud, they don't run behind firewalls either generally or corporate firewalls. And so the modern way of building software is that it has to be secure in and of itself. And that's very much an open source principle and has been from the outset. Is there, um, Tim, if you don't mind me asking, I mean, obviously, you know, financial services are, are, are heavily regulated is there any kind of specific regulation or regulatory approach to how institutions work in in communities or use open source software or, or if if not do you think there should be or, or what what's the kind of market for for regulation i well i i don't know of any specific regulatory guidance towards open okay. source software but, I, but the things that I've mentioned around it being well documented and secure and, mm. and you know, uh, more utility-like, I think regulators generally, that's what they look for anyway, right? Reg, you know, yeah. regulators don't like dependence on a particular software vendor, for example. They don't like banks to be overly dependent on a single cloud provider, for example. And open source software really allows banks not to have a single dependency. You know, if you're using open source software, then by default, you're not dependent on anyone other than mm -hmm. that community, right? Which you can actually contribute to and steer and lead if you like. And so it, I think from a regulatory perspective, open source software has a lot going for it. And in fact, when I speak to regulators, I don't get any uh, specific pushback about open source. It's actually the opposite. Fantastic. Um, I mean, maybe just just sort of moving slightly away from open source. We 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 mentioned um, COVID obviously a couple of times. I don't want to dwell on it too much, but I mean, you, you talked about how it may well open up new opportunities for open source. But more broadly, do do you think that um, I guess from your perspective and Red Hat's perspective, do you think it will change how 
organizations, enterprises approach their use of technology in a, in a broader sense? Yeah, so one, one thing that's interesting, I think, hopefully, is that when I was at my previous employer, the investment bank, you know, I went to my office pretty much every day, sat with the same group of people every day in the same, you know, same sort of team space, if you like. And one of the things that Red Hat does, the way that we work at Red Hat, is that we often, most of us work remotely, actually, always. But we yep. get together in groups and meet, uh, now remotely, obviously, but previously in person, we meet in order to address particular problems or to work on projects. And so we have this concept of like virtual teams and me as a person in financial services in Europe, I'm a member of many, many, many virtual teams covering mm -hmm. financial services. And, and I meet with those teams when and where is appropriate. And so it's a much more, I think, efficient way of working than going into the same place every day, meeting the same group because I meet different people all the time and it's, it opens up innovation, I think. I, I'm mm. a very big believer that innovation happens when people sort of bump into each other and have a discussion mm. and, and spark ideas with one another. And I think the Red Hat way of working, which is to be, is to move around and get together in groups to solve problems, it's a really efficient way of being innovative. And so I think COVID will force financial services firms to do that and actually the CIOs and CTOs that I've been speaking to over the last mm. few weeks, many, many of them are thinking about perhaps not going back to the office full time for everybody, but in, but in fact, meeting in order to do things in, you know, in the same way that Red Hat already does. Yeah. Um, I was just going to touch on that, Matt, that um, with, you, with you saying that regarding COVID and obviously um, the way Red Hat has kind of adapted, you know, to the current situation and you've got the comfort of you know potentially working remotely and still having your virtual teams do you feel that you know for the next uh, let's say month or the next three months um would you say it's just positive change that's going to happen um you know with regarding adapting to the current situation yeah look i do think it's positive i think we're all working more efficiently right we're spending less time commuting less time traveling um so i think that's all good I think what I'm concerned about is that over time, the rate of, the rate of uh, innovation will slow down if we can't meet in person mm. for the reasons I just said. So I think it's important that we do start to meet soon. And I know that colleagues in other countries are already starting to do that. I think in the UK, we're obviously a little bit behind, but I think in, in the next few months, I can see us starting to meet again, but hopefully we won't forget the lessons that we've learned by you know, commuting a bit less and, and traveling a bit less, perhaps. Absolutely. Um, I, I, I mean, we, we, we've worked quite nicely through a lot of those questions. Um, I'm conscious of everyone's time, but I'm still happy to, to keep going. I mean, I, I guess we, I just want to kind of maybe get a few more broad questions in, Tim, particularly around first, uh, we, we've touched on open source a lot. So, so maybe, I guess, let, let's kind of wrap up open source. Perhaps, what, what are your thoughts on, and again, we've kind of covered it a little bit, but but where do you see it going? Um, uh, and do you see any particular sort of major trends that, that, that will dictate how, how that rolls out in terms of how it impacts and works with financial services? Yeah, so look, I think that, you know, uh, COVID actually might increase the use of open source and the, and the interest of open source to banks because they've because they've been forced to have their employees work remotely mm. and, and they've they've seen that it that everything hasn't fallen apart things are carrying on and they can work securely and so perhaps more banks will want to 
contribute to open source. Uh, mm. So I think that's positive, perhaps. I think, you know, I mentioned AI-enabled services, and I think as banks compete more and more with AI-enabled services, a lot of AI tools, frankly, are, are open source, right? So some of the market-leading data science products are absolutely open source. And so I think AI will be a big driver for use and contribution to open source. So I think the future's very bright for open source. The other thing I think that's driving it that I haven't mentioned is that some of the proprietary software providers who really compete with open source mm. are, are moving into financial services, right? So we see AWS and Amazon broadly um, you know, offering increasing uh, financial services products, right? They've done payments for a while, they're starting to do loans, things like that. Other big providers of technology, proprietary providers, are also looking at financial services. And I think that trend will encourage finan incumbent financial services firms to perhaps reduce their dependence on some of that proprietary software. And open source is the obvious place for them to go because it leads them to a, to a, to a sort of a less proprietary dependent future. So I think, I think the winds of change, if you like, are all blowing in favor of open source. And that's one of the reasons I'm so excited to be at Red Hat, actually. That's fantastic. I mean, and, and, and aside from open source then, and, and maybe this is the, the opportunity to perhaps just focus in a little more on, on, on your work with Red Hat. I'm conscious we haven't touched on it that much. Um, I mean, are, are there any other kind of key trends aside from open source that are on your radar or, or that you think will perhaps evolve how Red Hat approaches the financial services sector or indeed other other sectors perhaps? Most bank, most financial services firms have yet to, re they're only just scratching the surface really mm -hmm. with using cloud, right? So I mentioned yep. about hybrid, open hybrid cloud being, being the way forward and we're really early stages of that. So I think the focus of Red Hat and our customers over the coming next few years is going to be on moving workloads to the to the open hybrid cloud in, in order that then we can make use of uh, the latest AI machine learning uh, tools that are out there, which frankly can't be used very easily with mm -hmm. legacy technology stacks. So hybrid cloud is definitely the focus, but moving towards a more open API based economy is something that's going to happen in parallel and then just increasing use of data and AI-enabled services. Those are my key trends, really. I think that's going to occupy us for the next several years. Fantastic. And, and uh, I mean, look, look I, I think we, we've covered off all of the, the main points there from my perspective. I know we've kind of moved around those questions a little bit, which is always the, uh, the mark of a good conversation in my mind. Um, I mean, is there anything else... Uh, Tim, that, that perhaps we haven't discussed or, or that's important around the subject? I just mentioned the open API economy. I think as mm. banks adopt open APIs to a greater extent, there'll be a blurring of boundaries. So at the moment, you have very, very strong boundaries between you know, current accounts and insurance products. Everything's sort of productized mm -hmm. in a way that's sufficient for the banks to provide. And, and, and actually, the consumerization trend that I mentioned will, I think, force banks to blur the lines between their products. And it's right. really open API technology that's going to enable them to do that. And I think that's going to also be a big focus going forward. Just, just out of interest, I mean, we've, we've talked about consumerization a lot. I mean, what, what for you, Marks, is, is the mark of a good 
consumerized uh, product and, and what's really your, your sort of definition of consumerization when it comes to interacting with financial services? You know, I think that what the big tech firms have done very successfully, mm. thinking about Netflix and, and Amazon and, mm. and Uber, for example, they've made products and services very easy to access, right? So mm. you've got an app on your phone, you have one or two clicks, and, and you can achieve what it is you need to do. Mm. And I think traditionally, financial services software has not been like that, right? You, you've had yeah. to go to a branch, or you've had to navigate some very complex application, fill in forms. So for me, consumerization is about, it's about the user experience, being, being efficient, being elegant, easy to use, and, and fundamentally accessible. So that's what it means to me. And I, th and I think, you know, if you go and you know, if you're going to buy a car, for example, and currently, you know, you have to find a car loan, you have to find insurance, there's multiple financial products that you have to arrange at the same time, often from different providers, using different apps or different phone calls. That, that's just friction, I think. And, you know, at the end of the day, you just want to, you know, you just want to take a car home, right? You want it to be insured, you want it to have yeah. a finance deal. So I think barriers between traditional financial services products will break down as as banks are able to do more in terms of the, the user experience, making it efficient, simple, easy to navigate and accessible. So that's where I think the focus needs to be. Great, thank you. I suppose, Tim, um, one question I'd just like to ask, which I suppose is more of a personal one than regarding open source, is um, regarding your position at Red Hat, um, you know, is there anything that still kind of excites you with your role in the organization or anything that still kind of sticks with you as a driving force? Yeah, I mean, look, if I look across my whole career, my focus has been on innovating and problem solving. Most of these things go, go together, right? You, you, you have a problem and you solve it by having some, you know, innovative idea and then delivering it. And I think what I've seen and what I see every day is that Red Hat are really good at doing that. They... They, they just think about innovation. And I mean, one of the things that my former employer, the investment bank, we did an agile transformation, as I mentioned at the beginning. Mm -hmm. and if I think back, we probably took 18 months to become an agile team and start working effectively. And, and Red Hat, for example, I've seen Red Hat take a company that's not agile at all. And within two or three months through use of workshops, and lab sessions, make them into an agile, productive team. And so it's just seeing, seeing open source in action and seeing agile working in action at a company that's done it for 20 years and in financial services for that long as well, there's just been an eye opener. And so what's exciting for me is talking to my peers and colleagues, you know, who are CIOs and CTOs at financial services firms and really explaining to them how looking at what Red Hat does, you know, looking at what our products and services do could help them to just get where they want to be quicker. That's, that's what excites me, really. That's good to Brilliant. know. Tim, that's fantastic. It's been really good talking to you. Um, I mean, look, I, I speak for myself. Charlotte uh, may want to dip in or not. I'm, I'm, I'm happy we've covered off a lot of the sort of core areas there. Um, also, you know, having the, the hindsight of reading your article and, and working through that as well. I mean, I think we've had a really good deep dive into the subject. Um, 
I mean, if you're happy, we've covered off those key points. So yeah, Charlotte, I guess we work on it now, right? That's that's uh, that's the plan for the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, from what Matt's touched on, we've got a significant amount of content, which I think a lot of listeners will be fascinated to hear about, um, you know, going more into depth of open source. Um, and yeah, I, I think that this is just an exciting one to have. And um, you have covered a lot of ground. So, you know, it's greatly appreciated for me that you've covered a lot to do with Red Hat. Um, and I think, yeah, it's a, it's a good time to wrap it up, I'd say. Um, I think that's great. And it's been really good talking to you both. It's so, been great. <laughs> take care you. of yourselves. Uh, stay safe and, and hope to speak to you soon. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.